For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We have a special episode for you today and a great guest, uh, Kevin Cole, formerly of PFF, now working on his own, uh, who does some outstanding work on value in free agency, but a lot of other things about football as well. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, great, great to have you. Uh, you know, with free agency season coming upon us, it's that time of year when people are continually hitting F5 on their browser, waiting for their team to make a move every four <laughs> seconds on that first draft day. And uh, sorry, on that first day of free agency. And so few teams really do that. Twitter goes ballistic over the silence. Yeah, yeah, I think they they do. I mean, as as for Ravens fans now, Ravens famously the best at compiling compensatory picks in the past, which means not signing uh, unrestricted free agents, at least those who haven't been cut before. Uh, things changed a little bit last season. Things could be a little bit different this this season. So a little bit more of uh, winning the offseason. That's what everyone's trying to do that first week. Yeah, outstanding. Okay, so I, I've I've been watching your tweets lately, and that's how I got in contact with you, and and, uh, and we had an opportunity to do the show. But just some fascinating stuff 
with regard to uh, retention of value in free agent, how free agent contracts play out and where the value really is. And I kind of want to step us through some of your theories. And first of all, I didn't mention you're at Kevin Cole. And how many underscores is it? Uh, the dreaded three underscores. So <laughs> so it already got on one and two, unfortunately. All right. Very good. So so uh, uh, talk us a little bit through that about how teams look at a free agent contract and where they're going to get their value in terms of, of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll talk a little bit more, I guess, my perspective on theoretically how teams should look at at free agency. So for me, I like to think about where you like which positions can you only really get in the draft versus free agency? So from a macro perspective, looking at who's available. So I've done studies based upon position by position to look at how good of a player is really available, the ages of the players that are really available and, you know, being able to target also players who are relatively in their primes, because even in the NFL, even for players who are in their late 20s, we're talking about one, two, and very rarely even three years of good production you can get out of players, especially if they're at positions like running back where they don't have that long of a career lifespan uh, going forward there. So I think teams, that should be like the first perspective to say, which type of positions can we target and get elite players here that we can that so we don't need to use our limited draft capital you only have so much you can use in the draft and you want to use those on positions that you can't get in free agency and what we'll we'll go through all the different positions but i think generally on the offensive side it's the interior offensive line there's a lot of availability there those players also have longer careers generally a lot a lot more of their value comes in their late 20s and even into their early 30s and on the defensive side of the ball it's in a bunch of different places, but generally you can find safeties, you can find off-ball linebackers, and you can find cornerbacks a bit better than you can find edge rushers or defensive tackles who can really pass rush. Those are going to be difficult to find in free agency also. So one of the interesting things that comes up, as you mentioned, as you walk through kind of the positions here, are there any positions where you're better off going to free agency as opposed to the draft. And and what comes to mind here is the draft of Patrick Queen, where they got a young player, but they also got a very unpolished player. And so you suffer through two years of him growing kind of into the position before he finally broke out this year and had a very good year. But the the question is, is are you better off buying years, you know, ages 25 through 29 or 27 through 30 even on a second contract at some positions versus drafting the guy with a high draft capital uh, cost in the first round. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You can think about it in draft capital costs, or you can think about it in the actual salary cap cost that they're making. I mean, the rookie contracts are just so compelling in terms of their salary cap costs that if you look at it apples to apples versus free agency, it's always going to be preferable to take shots and uh, be able to hit on one that's in the draft, even if it's multiple shots, even if you have to make more shots, um, because it's still, again, it's not cost prohibitive outside of the first few picks of the draft. It's really not cost prohibitive to even move on from a player um, out of that rookie contract because it's not that expensive. Now, the problem comes in, and that's kind of what I was talking about before. The problem comes in is you only have so many chances to do that. Um, compiling the compensatory picks like what the Ravens did in the past, that really helps you take all of these multiple chances. Um, so because you only have so many chances, then you want to say, well, what, what positions can we get the most relative value on in free agency uh, to then to then make up for that? So that's, that's how I would view it. I, you know, so free agent, it is, 
it can be valuable in certain positions, but it's only in light of the opportunity cost of you could have taken another position in the draft. Okay. And you in the draft, I mean, the Ravens have been very much a value team, even in the first round in terms of being value versus need. But free agency is almost always a need situation. You would never there's no there's such thing as a value free agent. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that I'd say that's the case. Maybe teams are a little bit more thinking of depth at certain positions like wide receiver and cornerback, where those are positions, no matter how well filled you feel like you are in the off season, it always halfway through the season, every team is always wishing they had one or two more receivers. So maybe teams will approach that a little bit differently, but I agree. It's, it's mostly a needs based thing. And it's also really like you have to have the cap space to do it. And teams that generally have the cap space to do it are teams who did not draft well in the past. And if you haven't drafted well in the past, then you have a lot of needs so that you use them in free agency. I I often speak about to Ravens fans about, you know, there's, there's two choices. You can either be draft well and you, you face heartbreaking decisions on letting good players go, or you can have the worst situation. You can draft poorly and you have to go out and buy somebody else's leftovers. Uh, on the on the free agent market. Yeah, I mean so. the the Bears, I think, and the Falcons are the two top teams with tons and tons of uh, money to spend in free agency. Not exactly the envy of the of the NFL the last couple of years. There you go. There you go. Uh, okay. Well, one of the players we've been interested in is Ben Powers. Here had a big year for the Ravens in 2022. One I think actually PFF grades kind of underrate, and and it, it's part of that is in the process of combining pass and run grading, I don't think fully values Powers, who's a much better pass blocker. Um, but let's look at him for a second. Is there? Do you think there's a significant market for him? And you mentioned there are a number of guards available. Yeah, I think there will be a decent market for him here. Now, again, guard is the is the the position, really, um, that you can look for to get value. Um, and I agree somewhat with what you've said about the grading. Um, it's funny. I know you may know a little bit more actually what's happening behind the curtain and how these things are are being made that I do since I wasn't really dealing with the grading, but I have noticed, um, for instance, I think it was someone like Trent Williams had this very strong overall grade based upon a lot based upon his run blocking grade, which means he's, he's a fantastic pass blocker too, um, versus someone other like Tristan Wirfs. I remember seeing that sort of contrast. So it makes sense that you're saying that because in, in my numbers that I've tried to calculate, so I have this number, which I call NFL plus minus, which I don't want to get into all of the, the methodology behind it, but it's basically looking at historical on and off the field type of value measurements because we have participation data now for players going back a number off of years. the field. Like yeah, what so you're looking at them on and off the field. So you're seeing how does a team perform when they're on the field or when they're off oh, the field. Oh, gotcha. No, perfect. And, okay. then, and then you're getting an idea. We're kind of it's hard for an individual player to get anything meaningful there because certain players, especially offensive linemen, you know, they're on the field always if they're not injured or something like that. So we try to, I try to cluster together similar players and then get those sort of value measurements. Now for guard, I find substantially more value in the pass blocking than in the run blocking that, that, that you were talking about. And, And even close to, in some ways, the type of pass value blocking you can get from a tackle, not quite as high end as the highest end tackles there. They don't have quite as long of a career arc as some tackles have had also there. But I agree, like pass blocking is very important. So I would agree with you that he's probably underrated by that basis. Yeah, the other, uh, the other, we've had many back and forth discussions with PFF about this, but the under kind of underweight they have in their system, uh, at least relative to my own offensive line scoring, is in penalties. And mm-hmm. 
penalties are enormous drive killing plays and they have just much more pivotal impact if they if if there were if there were a win probability basis that were tossed in there that they laid over they have a much higher negative for penalties and and powers was only penalized once this last year it was just one of the one of the points yeah i think negatives generally um certain types of negative sacks for quarterbacks is another one Mm -hmm. that's not penalized that harshly in grading versus um like the, the calculation that i'm using on the for 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 valuing players is this thing called expected points added i don't know how familiar yeah, you sure. are with that so yeah so that really is it's going to tell you it's going to tell you on a straight points basis you know a penalty is this a sack is this and then it builds off of that where intuitively it's it's more difficult to to figure those things out sometimes and it's more difficult to assign credit or blame also for those things but that's why i'm trying to just look at when they're on and off the field because all the things that our minds can't can't really wrap around you can you can get some signal there just from the fact of whether they were there on the field or not all right outstanding one question i meant to ask earlier but i didn't is a higher level question just philosophically i think is is it when you you mentioned how valuable rookie deals are and how how compelling they are was that was was the word but uh, do you have any kind of a metric or any way to analyze like the career value that comes on a rookie deal relative to free agency, or maybe a, a per cap dollar spent, what kind of value you're getting in those in that first contract versus a, a second contract? Yeah, I mean, career value is a little bit more difficult because uh, there's a lot that hinges on whether they're extended or not, whether they hit free agency, you know, for sure. a different type of contracts. But you can do calculations where, and this has been done by a lot of different people. I mean, the first the, well, not I was the first, but the most famous study, there's a study called The Loser's Curse, which was two academics did this. Um, it was Cade Massey was one of them. Uh, Richard Thaler was the other one. And it's a very fundamental um, study. In fact, Cade Massey, I believe it's pretty publicly known that he has consulted quite a bit with the Ravens uh, over the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the years. And it was really the first draft value study. It's a lot of what the philosophy of trading back in the draft was based upon. And what they did is they looked at something they called surplus value. So what you were looking at was a draft pick in a certain position, the contract they would be on. um, Then you figure out picks that are generally taken at that position. How much value could you expect from them? I think at that point in time, they weren't using, you know, expected points added. They were using approximate value, which is a calculation from pro football reference. And they were saying, okay, the equivalent free agent or the equivalent extension extended player, but mostly free agent. Cause those are the other types of ways you can actually acquire a player. How much would they make on average, the person who would put up this sort of production. And then you look at the, the surplus value would be the difference between how much that contract would cost in free agency. And then you subtract out how much that rookie contract is. And it is sig- significant <laughs> across the board. And, and the reason that like, for instance, the reason that trading back, was such a huge phenomenon is if you look at the the contracts in the draft, they it decays exponentially how much you're paying. You're paying the first pick, uh, I'm not sure how much it is, two or three times the amount that you're even paying the 10th, 11th, 12th pick in the mm-hmm. in the draft, and it goes down further and further. So that's why they kind of identified this sweet spot as being the end of the first round, um, beginning of the second round when it comes to getting the most value, the most surplus value. And that's why they call it the loser's curse because teams who are at the top of the draft, you think you're getting the best player because you're getting the best pick. But in fact, often teams that are successful who are picking at the end of the first round, in some ways, you're not going to get superstar talent, but you can get higher surplus value talent in that range. 
Right. Okay. More surplus value, but you still have a third of the draft capital. Well, if you trade back, it'd be better to have an early pick and trade sure. back and get, a, get get a bunch more picks. But they're just saying apples to apples, taking a player at thirty versus taking a player to number one. You know, outside of quarterback, probably where that's going to mm-hmm. be a big deal. Um, you, you might actually end up getting more value on that player because his contract is going to be minimal compared to what you're paying that number one overall player. The, the phenomenon you're talking about has to be a lot of the impetus behind the flattening of every draft curve since JJ is yes. that you, you know, you, you end up with these much higher valuations for later rounds in a, in a relative sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the JJ um, chart table, um, it was really like a market-based value chart. They were looking at what's happened in the past. This is what the market value is. We're now, and that's how it had been done in the past. Um, it wasn't really questioning whether it's correct or not. It was just saying, this is this is how these things have been valued in the past. And you're, you're right. Teams have learned more and more. This, this loser's curse study being a, a huge one in affecting people's valuations have learned more and more that is flatter than what the market values had been in the past. All right. Outstanding stuff. Uh, you know, big the big move this season for the Ravens was Rokon Smith, of course, picking up him. One of the questions that that would, you know came along with that is, do we really want to be spending money at inside linebacker? And certain positions like inside linebacker and running back have been ones that a lot of pundits have said, don't spend your money there because you can use uh, it, it, in running backs. You could just keep getting new ones. In, in the case of, of inside linebackers, you can platoon them. Uh, and I'm a big fan of that, by the way, at the weak side linebacker spot. But th- tell me a little bit about your thinking and, and what your system has found with regard to that. Yeah, I think there's maybe been a little bit too much of a conflation between the running back and inside linebackers. Um wanting to, you know, shift the overton window further and further of not matteringness of these different positions and how you can replace them. I think running back is, is on a much different level than inside linebacker. When we talk about that primarily because uh, running backs can only give so much value as a receiver. I do think there are some anomalies or unique players like Christian McCaffrey, who really does like line up and play like a wide receiver and run option routes a lot um, out of the slot, things like that. But generally you can only get so much. Whereas For inside linebacker, the coverage value, and this is again where the numbers that I've come up with, and I promise I'm not, you know, putting my finger on the scale to try to make the passing game look so much more important than the running game. But there's just a replaceability factor when a player is on or off the field. In the rush, in the run game, it's not as big of a difference because the lower level players normally are just better at taking on blocks and being able to play in the run game. And you really have a a small cohort of players when we're talking about your Fred Warners of the world, um, your Bobby Wagner's before Matt Milano players like that, where if they're top end coverage players, their year over year value that they're adding in coverage is actually more stable than what you see for defensive backs, where sometimes it can go up or down quite a bit, depending upon the scheme they're in, things like that. There's a little bit less scheme variation with, you know, man coverage or if or, or zone coverage in this in the scheme that the inside linebackers are are uh, a part of. So it's really coverage value. And I think for Roquan Smith, that's the place where I think they targeted and probably the, that was the Ravens philosophy was we're going to get a good value here because we're, we're targeting that type of attribute. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And and you can see it from Roquan because it's been missing from the Ravens inside linebackers now for the last several years is there's an awareness level 
not only on the man he lines up opposite or where he's lining up for the two players on his side of the field, which can typically be, but there's an awareness to look to the other side of the field and see where's the other exchange coming from uh, that, that I really love. The, the Ravens linebacks last few years, really since C.J. Mosley uh, in large part, have not been able to discern what's happening on any play behind them. So if it's between level two and three, they, they're, they're lost on the play. So I really appreciated that. The other thing I, d- I did want to hit you up with philosophically is that the weak side linebacker position, I, I don't I, I don't mind paying a mic. And the Ravens obviously have a history of, of, of drafting high for C.J. Mosley and, and being happy with that result. Of course, with the Ray Lewis tenure here, where nobody's unhappy with that. But the but the other uh, question is, can you afford to pay a second linebacker in that situation? Or would you rather go to a platoon situation where you have a two down linebacker and then a dime that comes in with both of those players not only being cheaper, but it being eminently more replaceable if anything happens to them injury-wise. Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is a good analogy for, for running backs. And, I mean, we're going to hear it a lot with Bijan Robinson this year about the value of a three-down back, and that would probably be similar, like the value of a three-down yep. linebacker. I think it's overstated because there isn't – I mean, sometimes on offense they talk about like you're tipping plays a bit depending upon which running back you have in there. But I think as long as you have a credible threat to do one or the other, it doesn't matter. In the same time, defensively, I don't think a defense is going to change necessarily what its philosophy was or what it was going to do in a particular circumstance based upon a particular linebacker being in the game. What really determines what offenses do is down and distance. If you're third down and it's more than even two yards – it's changing a little bit. Teams are running a little bit more on third and three and third and four because they're willing to go for it on fourth down. But historically, once we get into third and three, third and four, we're talking about 80 plus 85, 90% pass rates in those situations. So you can be confident in platooning, like you say, and why not have someone whose core competency is one type of down versus another and, and leverage off of that, knowing that the offense has very strong tendencies in those situations. Yeah. Outstanding. Uh, one of the things I love to see, and, and this applies in so many ways in football, but I kind of wanted you to talk about a little bit is some things I've seen in tweets from you on regret aversion versus risk aversion. And of course I'm a risk guy. So that's, we, we, we come from that perspective, but talk a little bit about that in terms of what it means to you, either in a game situation or maybe in a free agent signing situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's easiest to talk about in a game situation and, a lot of times there's been this link between aggression and analytics. And I think sometimes that's true. But then the reason that I, I don't like saying it's risk aversion, that's what people said before. They're not being aggressive enough. They're they're scared of risk. Is that you do see certain times in games, coaches are wanting to do something that's too risky, and it, by the numbers at least. And consistently to, to do it. I mean, one example would be, although we didn't see it with Lovey Smith last year, one example would be at overtime, they don't want to tie. They, 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 they want to, you know, sometimes they'll play through and continuing to be a little bit too aggressive where taking half a win would be better in, in some of those sort of circumstances. Near the end of the game, winning with a two-point conversion or at least taking a one-point lead at the end of the game. Actually, you should only be doing that if there's maybe – 20-ish sort of seconds left because you give the team a lot of motivation on the other side to come back and score again rather than to go for overtime. But you see coaches do that quite a bit with even more time than that than that left on the clock. So then it got me thinking more and more. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. And again, this is something that we heard uh, explicitly from Nick Sirianni, where he talked about his decision at, in the fourth quarter, about 10 minutes left to punt at fourth and three on, a, on their own side of the field. He said 32 out of 32 coaches would have done that. I don't regret it at all. And I think that really drives a lot of people's decisions because when the results go against you and there's more of a sense of this regret from the fact that either A, you're going to have to hear about a lot, B, it's going to be seen as being out of character. C, it's just traditionally something you wouldn't do. It just hurts more, even if the psychologically, even if the results are exactly the same. It's there's. I don't know how long it was ago now that Belichick went for it on fourth and two against the Colts, came up short, and they ended up losing that football game, as, as yeah. I recall. But the situation had all sorts of redraw value and other things were reasons why it was an obvious decision to go for it on fourth and two in that situation, or at least fairly obvious from my perspective. That same weekend, I think it was the Jaguars executed one of the first kneel-kneel kick situations that I can recall, where they had a chance to score a touchdown. The other team actually would have dragged them into the end zone, given the given the option, and they knelt out to, to get the kick. I thought at that moment, and it's probably been 12, 13 years now since that happened, I thought that, that the NFL would change in terms of that. I thought it would change like that in terms of the, the, the decisions made um, uh, going forward. And it really, it's it, it has changed so incrementally over the years in terms of of who's doing it. New coaches come into the league and they're not afraid to you know be very aggressive on fourth down. The San Diego guy, of course, has has been notorious for that. Harbaugh has evolved as a fourth down coach in a lot of ways, but I I don't think we've seen the 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 sort of incredible rush to it that I would have expected to see. And, and you know, the Bears lost a game to the Ravens last year by not having a receiver understand the game situation and not going down and kicking a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I think traditionally it's one of those weird situations where like what makes a good head coach in these type of situations versus what makes a good coordinator versus what you're learning along the way. Um, and there's a lot that goes into these game management decisions. And I know some people think that we are 
being arrogant and saying that we know better than a coach. But they, the honest, <laughs> the honest truth is they don't study it as much as much. Yeah. They're not really <laughs> researching it as much. I mean, I'm not going to tell a coach how the proper technique of a particular type of block or something. They know that stuff. That's what they've been studying. That's what their whole, their whole focus and concentration. And sometimes they have good, they're, they're charismatic. They're good leaders. They get elevated in that position. They know how to organize a staff, but they don't necessarily know that side. And they're going off of what they've been taught in the past. And what they've been taught in the past is just continues to be built on not research, but tradition much more in that sense, I feel like than in others. Right. I, I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about maybe where you think the Ravens can find value in free agency this year. Yeah, it's a tough one because I do think receiver is obviously going to be a a target. Um, but I don't love uh, <laughs> free agency when it comes to receivers, at least not at, at the high end. Um, I know Christian Kirk is one, you know, was a signing last season that was mocked and then maybe, you know, ended up working out pretty well for the Jaguars. But um, I think generally you do not find the value in that type of position. So I think that's going to be difficult there. Um, it's tough in edge rusher, which is another place they probably want to generate a little bit more pass rush. So that's also a little bit tough. Sometimes you can, it's more of a coin flip, I think, or a roll of the dice when you sign sometimes an older edge rusher, because you can get them much, much, much cheaper than someone who is closer to their prime. So that can be an avenue, but it's not someone you can really even pencil in as necessarily being a starter or a contributor to the organization. So I think those two areas are there. I mean, we talked a little bit about Ben Power, so it'll be, you know, figuring out, again, on the offensive line, always wanted to have that bulked up as, as part of the situation. Um, I think that those are big ones. And then in the draft, this is, you know, I, I try to say how many picks here for the Ravens. I guess it's five picks for the Ravens in this draft where they, you know, they've been in the double digits uh, multiple years before in the past. So I guess from, from that perspective, I would think this is a year where, uh, Eric DaCosta's really got to be working those phones and figuring out if they can, you know, pick up a marginal pick here or there again in another place. Cause this is what a big, this is a big regret talking about regret aversion. This is a big regret aversion area and why you're able to get so much value trading back in the draft is that, you know, when a particular player comes up, you like that player. Um, if you don't take them there and you move back and you're not able to get them, you're going to regret that player, uh, not getting that player a lot more than, you know, th th then the other team moving up is really going to be, you know, is really going to regret not moving up if they really had someone targeted on their board. Yeah. So it's kind of leveraging that sort of effect and the ability to overpay and maybe falling in love with a particular prospect. But I think that's something the Ravens have always been good at, but are going to have to look at it even more this year is really try to pick up a few picks along the way. Well, the one way they can pick up the most picks <laughs> would be obviously <laughs> to trade Lamar Jackson. Uh, oh, yeah. and there, there are, you know, there's another one too. Patrick Queen, uh, there's been two separate incidents where Patrick Queen has deleted all his Ravens connections. One, one came at one Oh four in the morning after they drafted Kyle Hamilton, he changed it. Hmm. He took Ravens off his Twitter handle. And I wouldn't know that unless somebody else tell me, but apparently there's an app that, that you get that information and it, and it, and it, it comes. <laughs> Someone's right always it's watching. Weird. Someone somebody. is always watching. Somebody's always watching. Well, anyway, Patrick Queen deleted a bunch of Raven stuff from his Instagram account. And, and the thought was that he probably has, has approached the Ravens or his agent has about an extension. The Ravens have said, we're not willing to do it at this time. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hit, hit you with the fifth year number, but we're not willing to discuss extension yet. 
and and he's not very happy about that. But it's also a possibility the Ravens don't want to pay two inside linebackers who could trade. So let's talk about Queen first before we talk about Jackson because that's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. When it comes to Queen, um, I just don't know what his what his value is right there right now. Um, he, I mean, he, he he hasn't been great. That's, that's probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons why um, you know Roquan Smith was a priority target, and in this type of situation, often the best move is you don't have wait, was queen. He was, he for, he was first round, right? His or, first round 28th overall. Okay. Okay. So fifth year option was not, is not going to be exercised. I assume for, I, for I think it will be, it's cheap oh, it inside okay. linebackers. That'd be my guess. His season last year was good. Two, two bad years, one good year played very well with Roquan played well, even before Roquan got here and showed more awareness in the, in the, in the coverage game would be how I'd term it. But you're right on the money that he was not great those first two years. And there's there's a there's a denial fest among some fans in Baltimore about that being true. But you're you're exactly right. He wasn't very I mean, good. I just think if you're a team who thinks they're gonna compete for the next couple of years, I think the marginal benefit that you would get from trading him now and getting draft picks versus letting him play out either a year or two years, whatever it ends up being, at a very cheap amount, then enter free agency and Hopefully, you know, you're back to your old ways as the Ravens mm-hmm. and you're not you're not you're not drafting a lot of players and then you get a compensatory pick and, and, and you move on. I mean, sometimes that's the best way to go. That's really the traditional route of how the Ravens have played it out many times in the past with players who are even near elite type of players. At least they're viewed that way in the free agency market. I, I agree completely. One of the phenomena I just mentioned this earlier with the, with the with whether or not there's any position where it might be better to get a guy who's a little bit seasoned. Inside linebacker has been so overvalued, in my opinion, in the draft. And in particular, it peaked out in the year of the two Devons. Devin Bush, Devin White got drafted number five and number 10. And it was way too high for those guys. And a a whole bunch of the other picks since, honestly, have been stretches. Queen was a big stretch at 28, but Jordan Brooks went right before him at 27. And, you know, there's been others that just, these first round linebackers, they tend to be young, junior players, 21 or, or even 20 in some cases. And just not really ready either physically or, or sometimes from a from an understanding of the position um, nature to be ready to play that position in the NFL. And it just seems like if if you're going to trade a guy with two years of team control left to use a baseball term, that a player like Queen at this point could be more valuable uh, in terms of what you get for him. But I agree that that more than likely they'll probably go the. Uh, it, it just depends. I mean, it depends if they could get a a good pick for him. But if you're saying, you know, we can have a player who's who's a value on his contract for the next two years, where we need cheap players, right, mm-hmm. to build around potentially Lamar, Lamar Jackson, but also, you know, the contracts are going to go up for Roquan Smith and others on the team. We need cheap players. He's a cheaper player. We can get probably a third round or fourth round compensatory pick for him. Like, what's the marginal value between that and a early third round pick now, a late second round pick, whatever it may end up being. Yeah, uh, very very valuable point. So let's get back to Lamar because he's really the 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 key guy in the room, and so much of the Ravens' uh, uh, offseason decision making has to has to pivot around, frankly, these next two weeks of whether or not they can get Lamar Jackson signed or, or whether he has to play on the tag this year. Yeah, yeah, it'll be. Well, I mean, I guess they have some time to sign him, even if they tag him. I'm trying to think of what is it June or something like that that yeah. you can sign someone until that range. So. Okay, so I've been more pessimistic about the fact that he would be signed than than some others, if only because the talk that we've heard about the guaranteed contract, and we're getting 
believed or not, I'm trying to think of who it was I just listened to today on the ESPN Daily podcast. Was it Jeremy Fowler? It was someone was confirming that he's just saying, I want guarantee, all guaranteed, and I want more than Lamar. I mean, more than Deshaun Watson. And that's that's it, you know, and there's not been any wiggle room in that type of situation. And I think if that's going to continue as being the case, and I don't know if it it doesn't I'm not getting any hint that it's moving in any any particular direction there. Um, I don't think the Ravens are going to do it. I don't I, I just I think that's a bridge too far for them. But they also have to have some sort of plan to get you know, a lot of draft compensation. And I also think get a quarterback in this draft, have mm-hmm. someone in, in this draft. So uh, I was having a, uh, actually a podcast conversation with Jason Fitzgerald at over the cap. And he was talking about waiting until draft day. Cause he thinks they could get four first round picks. Now I'm not so certain about that um, because you can only trade out three years worth of picks, but then once, once the clock struck strikes midnight on day one, technically three years extends out over four drafts. So you really, can, I yes. did not know that. So you can do it at that. Um, that's the one time that's the, it's the one day you can get four years worth of draft. Any, any, any draft pick from the next four years becomes available is on that exact day. I was thinking that they might wait until draft day, not for the four picks. Cause I wasn't sure if they, they would get four first. I was thinking that because I thought, Let's say the Atlanta Falcons at number eight are interested and they have a deal in principle. They have Lamar Jackson's on board with it. The Falcons have ridiculous amounts of cap space right now because they don't really have any talented players um, to, to pay Lamar Jackson. Maybe they don't care if they have to, you know, say it's 250 million in, in all guaranteed money. Well, if they're on the clock on number eight, you might even be able to know whether or not the quarterback a quarterback is there for you or know you can make a move slightly earlier, combine another one of their first round picks to move up and get a quarterback. So for me, I thought that was interesting because I really think they need to have a quarterback. And unless you're the first few picks in the NFL draft, you can't really guarantee that that would happen. Maybe they maybe they can work some sort of trade far in advance to move up into the top few picks. Uh, but for me, that's almost that's the most complicating factor. Is that you know how how are Ravens fans going to feel if Lamar Jackson is gone and you you're just sitting there with nothing essentially at quarterback? So in in terms of the free agent class at quarterback, what sort of what sort of game management quarterback would be available to the Ravens? And obviously, you know Jimmy Garoppolo is out there. There's the possibility of Baker Mayfield, I guess, coming to Baltimore. Those aren't exciting names, certainly, but. Um, the Ravens have won with mediocre quarterback play and a great defense. And they certainly seem to have a very good defense put together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little rough (laughs) out there, I guess, but it always is. Um, Yeah. I think there's, there is a good possibility though. And we saw this a little bit last season when it came to Baker and then Jimmy Garoppolo in the second half of the the offseason is that if you're patient and this happened also with cam newton a few years ago for for the patriots although you know newton had a very struggled to to put it mildly in the second half of the season but often there's a little bit of a musical chair situation when it comes to these quarterback spots and how much how much you end up paying for someone And, and Derek carr may be the one that multiple teams are interested and there's an overpayment for, for him at this point in time. But then once the draft happens in particular, 
free agency happens, the draft happens. A lot of teams are looking at their 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 quarterback room and they're saying, "Eh, you know, we're, we're okay. We're we're not desperate to sign anyone." At that point in time, you can pick off maybe a Jimmy Garoppolo or someone else for, you know, less than fifteen million dollars, fifteen million dollars for a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. So again, that's probably the optimal type of move if you if you're sitting and waiting. Let's say Lamar hasn't even signed the franchise tag until sometime in June. That might be the optimal move, but it's gonna be it's gonna be nerve wracking. <laughs> There'll be a lot of biting nails and other things along the way. Yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, it was a, it was it was a big shock to Ravens fans to have Marquise Brown traded on draft day, which, by the way, just it was a deal that Ravens I don't think could have possibly turned down. I, I can't imagine what it'll be like if if Lamar Jackson is traded on draft day. I mean, if Lamar Jackson's traded at any point, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big deal. Uh, give me a percentage chance that you think Lamar will play. Okay, three possibilities that'll play with the Ravens and be signed to an extension prior to this next year. That'll play under the tag, and that he's that he's playing somewhere else in 2023. Uh, I mean, I might just by default just cut him into thirds. I don't know. I do think there. I think there's some possibility also that he, you know, he doesn't sign the franchise tag for at least and doesn't play perhaps the first game or two of the season i don't know how how long it, it may take um if you don't sign it by a certain point actually i'm trying to think of when, when is the deadline for having to you sign have to it? come back for the last six weeks oh to, to sign it i don't know but but yeah so there might, there might be an weeks. earlier deadline for that but i i, I don't know I, I guess that is i, I think there will at least be the threat of that and i don't know it sounds like it sounds like there's not a lot of communication between them at that uh, that's going on back and forth so i don't know I, I would break it up into a third each but i think a third of the chance that he's not going there is only because there are a couple of teams. I think I, I don't know why I keep thinking the Falcons. I just think that they would do anything to have Lamar Jackson right now. Um, that it might just be too compelling for for DaCosta to, to pass down, no matter what you know Harbaugh may be saying. And I think he's p- completely authentic in his wish to have Lamar Jackson back. It's just you know s- sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been they've said the right things. Hopefully. The right conversations are happening behind the scene, but one of one of my frustrations with it has been that um, when when you don't have an agent, everyone is your agent, and in particular, the NFL PA's interests are your agent, and so they're concerned about what this means for other quarterbacks in the league and less what it means for Lamar, and and that yeah. that to me is very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I also think the the guarantee contract issue. Um, I mean, Watson is just a bit of an outlier because he was essentially like a, like an unrestricted free agent. He was able to talk to every single team in the NFL. And even then other teams were shocked that the Browns were willing, were willing to do it. So Lamar Jackson is not an unrestricted, unrestricted free agent. Um, But, but when you open up the trade possibilities, then you do bring multiple teams in. And at that point, someone could be bid up to, to, to doing it. Yeah. I, I, how do you think this plays out in terms of what you've seen in free agency before with regard to once the Ravens make it known or start fielding phone calls on offers that it, it, it further accelerates the decline in the relationship in some way that just you can't play for the Ravens again once they get into that position? Is it, do you think that's a risk or a possibility? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a risk. I mean, especially as we've seen there seems to be some 
feelings, I guess, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so on, on at least Lamar Jackson's side on this. But I think they are playing it well. I mean, one thing that, again, there was my, my discussion with Jason Fitzgerald that he said where I'm not quite so sure about this, but he 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 said if if the Ravens were even thinking about trading Lamar Jackson, they would be, and this is a very cynical way of looking at it, but perhaps this is how the NFL works, that they would already be leaking much more heavily the fact that he could have played in the playoffs and things like that and, you know, really – kind of getting the fan base prepared for oh. the fact that, that 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 he won't be around and the reasons that that became a necessity. So maybe that's what I would look for. And again, this report that I was listening to today on ESPN Daily, there was more information where it came down to them um, specifically saying that they offered Lamar Jackson 250 something million dollar extension over five years. So that'd be more than 50 million a year, which is mm-hmm. It better than anyone except for the the totally uh, ludicrous Aaron Rodgers extension that, that that just happened, and something like 140 million dollars guaranteed, which would be the most for anyone but um, Deshaun Watson. So that's the type of thing that you that you start to leak when you're starting to paint the picture of like we're going to give this guy the best contract in the NFL, and he won't say he won't accept anything but 260 million dollars guaranteed. Um, you know, it, it starts to the, the PR thing is maybe maybe the wheels are starting to move slightly on that. All right. Fair enough. Kevin, just an outstanding discussion. You really appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your thoughts. Uh, terrific stuff. And I highly recommend you follow Kevin. He's at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. And just the, the, the quality of tweets is at an outstanding level. If you're fans of this show, I'm sure would would all love it. Kevin, what else are you doing and where can people find your work online? Yeah, so you can find my work, uh, Unexpected Points, all one word, dot substack, dot com. I put out um, a lot of articles on, on there, putting out a lot of stuff on free agency here. I'll have combine-related stuff as far as uh, looking at how success rates correlate with different metrics for all the different positions coming up, and then, of course, going through the draft and, and so on for the rest of the offseason. So there's articles there, and then there's also a podcast that I do an interview once a week there. And then every other Friday or so, I'll do a solo kind of Q&A situation there. So all that is available on Substack. All right. Outstanding, Kevin. Thanks so much for coming on. Other folks out there, I'm still looking for people to do that one play in Ravens history. Hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. We'll we'll uh, set up a time for you. Kevin, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.